Good evening, Lift Church. All right. Um, well, good evening, everyone. Welcome uh, back to the webcast. We're into part two of Gospel Leadership. For those of you that don't know me, I believe we were introduced at the top, but my name's Robin, and uh, I'm excited to get into Gospel Leadership. So on uh, this past Sunday, we kind of went through part part two of a five-part, but it was really just like the next logical step from what we shared about two weeks ago in developing a theology of leadership with this idea that that leadership in the church is built on a foundation of Jesus' work to bring us together as a family. And we've kind of applied this really simple uh, thesis or principle, if you will, that the gospel transforms all of our relationships, and leadership is all about relationships. Therefore, the gospel should transform leadership. And it doesn't just transform it in some sort of ambiguous or good intentions way. It transforms it in that gospel leadership is reoriented or rearranged from the perspective of church as family. What Jesus has done is reconciled us to himself, but he's also reconciled us to each other in forming the family of God. And leadership in the church is designed to work on the basis of that really beautiful truth that we've been reconciled to God, but we've also been reconciled to each other. Now, this past week, we started to develop this idea a little bit further by talking about the nature of gospel leadership. How does it work? How does it function? Uh, what does it sort of feel like, in a sense? What's, it, what's, what's the vibe, <laughs> I guess, if, if you will, of, of gospel leadership? And what I want to do tonight is is expand on some of that thinking and invite you into the process. Uh, so I hope you have a pen and a paper. I want to be throwing a set of re- reflection questions at you. And uh, while I do that, I'm going to invite you to, to pause. We're going to pause together. And I'm going to really get you to think carefully about a whole set of questions because these questions are designed to take what could be a very theoretical idea and help us be a whole lot more practical with it in the context of your simple churches and in the context of your discipleship relationships. So if you're following along or if you took good notes on Sunday, I'm basically going to walk back through the message from Sunday, but we're going to go a lot deeper in terms of uh, application in the context of simple church and in the context of church, our church family. So the starting place for all of this uh, that we're going to talk about tonight comes from Ephesians 5.32. It's sort of the ending passages in Ephesians 5 where Jesus talks about family, actual families, men and women, marriage. And he says that this picture of family, particularly husband and wife, is designed to actually help us understand not marriage but the church. It says the mystery is profound, verse 32 of Ephesians 5, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So when we when we think about the church, we think about leadership, we have to go back to the beginning, and it's, it's this is so foundational. All authority in gospel leadership flows from Jesus. This means that our authority isn't found in ourselves, and it's not found in our experiences. It's not found in how good we are, smart we are, charismatic we are, cool we are, interesting we are. None of that is particularly relevant in gospel leadership. Why? Because Jesus establishes the authority. It says in Ephesians 5.23 that Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Not you. Not me. You are not the savior of the people you're discipling. I am not the savior of the people I'm discipling. I'm not the savior of our church. You're not the savior of our church. Jesus is the savior of our church. Jesus is the one who works, Jesus is the head, and Jesus is the source of all authority. This is so important. Your authority to disciple doesn't come from you. And so often, we tend to, uh, we tend to think that our authority is about us. Like if we're going to lead confidently, if we're going to be effective in huddle, if we're going to effectively disciple people, then we really got to have our stuff together. We got to know who we are. And yes, there's a measure of, of our confidence and there is a skill to leadership, which we're going to talk about next week. But that's not the starting place. 
And I know so many leaders in our church feel inadequate. They feel like, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. Uh, I don't have the skills to do it. I don't have the personality to do it. I'm not like the person I saw. Maybe you can relate to this idea that you look on, on TV or on, uh, you know, celebrity preachers and you're like, I'm not, that per- I'm not that person. I'm not that guy. I can't lead. And the truth is that that's a lie. You can because it's not about you. Effective leadership doesn't flow from how great you are. It flows from how great Jesus is. And then you stand on him. He's the cornerstone. Stand on him. So the question I want you to wrestle with for a moment is when you think about leadership, is your leadership more about being like you? Are you inviting people to be like you? Or are you inviting people to be more like Jesus? In other words, is your leadership about you and what you're doing and where you're going and what you want? Or is it about Jesus? Because the best part is if it's about Jesus, then your weaknesses can be overcome by his strength. So I want you to just reflect for a few seconds on that. Is your leadership about being like you or about being like Jesus? Kind of just write that down. I'm going to go slow through them. Let me know what you think. Now, the second really practical application of this is that when we're discipling, when we're leading, it can be very tempting to look at our experiences as the source of wisdom. It can be really tempting to look at how great we, uh, you know, how much wisdom we have, what we know. But gospel leadership isn't really about our experiences. It's about the wisdom that Jesus has to share through us. We're, we're not, the, the, the leadership we have to bring is not really about us and our wisdom. It's about us learning to be a conduit for the voice of the Holy Spirit. A conduit is something that carries a voice. And so my my question really simply is, actually, before I get to the question, let me just come at this from one other angle. So often we tend to want the right answer. We look to the world. We look to make sure that we can answer it clearly. But one of the things that we need to learn to do in gospel leadership is to recognize that it's not our voice and our wisdom. It's scripture and the Holy Spirit. That's the, the source of our authority. It's not us. We're not authoritative, but Scripture is authoritative. We're not really that wise, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit are wise. So my question is this. Where do you depend on your voice instead of the voice of Scripture in your leadership? Where are you looking to your experiences instead of Scripture? Where are you looking to the world instead of the Holy Spirit? Where are you drawing wisdom from a book you read or something you know instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit can speak through other things, but where do you depend? Do you see how much more confident this can make you? This can mean that you can speak to somebody who you don't really understand their story or maybe you don't have that much shared life experience. But Scripture is alive and it will speak through you if you want it to. So much of your leadership capacity is contingent on your ability to humble yourself beneath the Word of God and learn to use Scripture as your primary tool. So all authority flows from Jesus. The second aspect of this is that all gospel leadership comes through sacrificial love. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in love? What does it mean to love sacrificially? I think this is one of the, the, the most basic Christian principles that we don't teach clearly enough. What does it mean to love someone? The answer to that question, if you are a follower of Jesus, is dead simple. It is crystal clear, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what you feel. 
To love someone means this. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. In short, when we think about leadership, our job is to imitate the cross. To imitate the sacrificial love of God to us. There is no room in gospel leadership for any iota, even the smallest notion of self-serving activity. Gospel leadership is not just servant-hearted. It's not just sacrificial in style. It is sacrificial in substance. It is what it is. And if it's not sacrificial, it's not gospel leadership. It's not love. Because to love like Christ is to lay our lives down like Christ. The foundation of gospel leadership, therefore, is loving people. Loving people. Not leading people, not steering people, not directing people, not drawing the best out of people. It's loving people. And I want to hit us, uh, hit us, <laughs> man, if you feel like I'm hitting you, I hope you don't. I'm trying to love you. I love you. Um, I want to, I want to walk through four ways in which we can love each other as gospel leaders. Four ways, and, and I'm going to really use these, I think, very intentionally because I think we have room to grow in this area as a church. Um, there is room to grow for us. So I hope wherever you are, you receive this as an encouragement to love those around you even more deeply. I'm not suggesting that we don't love people, but I'm suggesting that there's a whole other layer of Christ-like love that we can tap here, all of us, myself included. And the first part is this, see people. And what I mean by that is watch your blind spots. You can't love people without first seeing them. So much of what Jesus did in, in actually entering into our world and coming and giving his life for us is because he could see our plight. If you read through the Old Testament, you see the people of Israel asking God, can you see us? Can you see what is happening? And in Jesus, the emphatic answer is, yes, God sees you. The question is, do you see the people around you that need Jesus? We can't love people if we can't see people. Jesus saw us. There was nothing lovely about us. There was nothing generous about us. There was nothing for Jesus to gain in seeing us, and yet he saw us and entered our world. What this means is that when we love people, we start by looking for the people that are unseen. I was in a room recently with someone with uh, uh, some people in our church, and I was grieved because I could see that there were some people who were new, and there were some people who were not as new, and the people who were new were not seen. They were not seen. They were not loved. They were not received. If we're going to lead effectively in the church, the first thing we need to do is turn our eyes onto all the areas, our blind spots that we can't see, where we tend to miss people. And when we see people, love them. Now, the dream that I would have for our church, and I really just think this is the, the heart of God, <laughs> but I don't think it's anything special that I've figured out, like it's just Jesus, is that when people encounter our church, no, it doesn't matter where they are, and it doesn't matter what the context is of that encounter, whether they encounter us in something that we've put together as a church, or whether they encounter us on our homes, or whether they encounter us hanging out with our friends on the street. Whenever people encounter us as a church, their experience when they walk away is, that was weird, those people really loved me. 
The kind of love that Jesus has for us, it's actually kind of unnerving. It's kind of like disorienting because we're not used to just being loved by people. We're not used to just being seen by people. But wouldn't it be incredible if when people encounter our church, we see them and we love them, we receive them. We, put, we, we, we focus in and we say, I see you. I see you. You just walked in the door. I see you. You just walked into the room. I see you. I'm passing you on the street. I see you. I see you. I see you. We do that by showing that we love them. We all have blind spots in this regard. I think for some of us, the blind spot in seeing people is that we're timid. Maybe we're, maybe you're like quite a shy person. Did you know that if you're maybe a shy person and that makes it hard for you to open up relationships, that that actually uniquely positions you to open up relationships with people? God has uniquely wired you and gifted you to interact with people. He's given you that personality and he wants you to see people. Sometimes we, view, we use our personalities as a blind spot. Well, I'm not good at engaging with people. But what if Jesus made you that way so that you could engage with people in the way that is unique to you? So sometimes our personalities are a blind spot. Sometimes our friends cause us to have blind spots. We're so busy looking inward on our friendships, hanging out with our friends, and we're secure, we're safe with our friends that we don't see the people on the outside. Sometimes the people on the outside can even be people in our own homes or in our own neighborhoods. We're too busy with our peers to see people. We can't love them. And maybe some of us, we haven't just invited the Holy Spirit to break our hearts for those that we don't know. I want you to pause for a moment and ask the question, what are the blind spots? How can you love and see people more? Take a minute to think about that. What are your blind spots to strangers? Strangers or and when I say strangers, I don't mean total strangers. They might even be just a stranger in our church. One clarification here is that when we talk about church as family, we're not talking about your church as your simple church family or your peer group. The dream is that every person in our church, it doesn't matter if you feel known by a person or not, that you would know that you are loved no matter where you are. And that we would be people that love each other across regions, across simple churches, across boundaries equally. And this leads me to the second aspect of sacrificially loving people, which is part two, being available to people, tearing down walls. Tearing down walls. One of the things that can happen when we when we start to live in, in, in church's family and we start to lead in church's family is that we can very quickly start to build walls around our social spheres so that we feel safe there. Now, these walls could exist within our simple church. So we build a wall around our simple church. So we have church's family in our simple church, but that simple church isn't integrated into the rest of the church. And I think a lot of our leaders, especially our more experienced leaders, see how unhealthy that is because it, it's isolating. Or we build walls around the areas or the teams we serve on. Or we can build walls around uh, our friends and our peer groups. And that happens, all of this happens automatically. We, the walls go up as we start to feel more secure. And the more secure we are, the higher we build the walls. But if we're going to be a people of gospel leadership, if we're going to sacrificially love people, instead of building walls around our relationships, we need to make sure that there is always access into the innermost moments of our lives. 
Do people have access to actually enter into intimacy, friendship, closeness with us? We cannot be effective in gospel leadership if the people we are leading are not given access to our lives. We're very good at building walls to protect ourselves, but the call of gospel leadership is to tear down walls so that people have access. So that people have access. Continually working to create space for the newcomer. So my question on this is in your weekly rhythms, how have you built walls that make it hard for people to build relationships with you? For example, I'm going to be really, really poignant here for a moment. I know that in some cases, people have used COVID to build walls. We use COVID as, for, for some of us, we've used it as a safety blanket to build a wall. Well, I don't have to build relationships with you because I'm supposed to be isolating. We do that. That's tragic. Gospel leadership is always about asking the question, how can I tear down walls? How can I create space? How can I open up my life for other people? Be available. So in your weekly rhythms, where have you built walls that have made it hard for people to build relationships with you? moment of uh, confession earlier on in Laura and I's leadership, we did this. We built a bit of a wall around ourselves um, for a number of years. This is like five, six years ago. We were just trying to figure things out. We, 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 we would tend to not be as integrated because we needed our space or whatever. And we realized that that was actually limiting our ability to love people. And the Lord's done a gradual work in our hearts to eventually see us move closer to people and be more available to people. And it's so beautiful to see the relationships that God has blessed us with in that. But it's been a process and it's hard. All right, the third aspect of this loving people sacrificially is integrating people through open circles. So this is sort of the next step over um, tearing down walls. First, we need to be available to people. Our lives need to be structured so that people can have access to us. But then our, our relationships, the ones we do have, they also need to be open. And what we want to do is we want to use those, those close moments, those moments where we feel safe, those moments where we feel like, you know what, this is really where I get to feel loved and give love. That is where we get to bring people into I heard a story recently of uh, a friend uh, in our church that was actually um, uh, invited to, he was, he was connecting in at another church, a church that I uh, happen to have a lot of good friends at down in the U.S., and they're really, really good at loving people. Like, this is their strength. All their leadership is built around the, this idea of loving others. And within just a very short while of this guy... Of, Part of formerly part of our church, arriving at this other church within just a like a week or two, he was integrated into the inner circle, not because he was cool or because he was effective, but because people saw that the best way to love him as a newcomer was to bring him into the inner circle, the innermost circle, the place where they felt the safest. They brought him in, and within just like two weeks, he was invited to one of their weddings. Weddings are usually where you. You sort of, it's exclusive. It's the like, you made the list type thing. But in gospel leadership, it's actually a tool to show people that we love them. Another similar kind of example that I've, we've been sort of ruminating on this week is this idea of birthday parties. So imagine you've got a birthday party and birthday parties are often like, I'm gonna get my people together. I'm gonna get my crew together, right? We, we wanna feel safe. Well, those are actually, what if instead of it being a closed circle, it was an open circle? Bring our disciples, bring the people we're leading, bring our spiritual children into that moment. Share it, 
Those moments where you feel the most loved as a leader are moments where you get to invite others to also experience the fact that they're loved. This is why in discipleship, it's important that we prioritize our discipleship relationships. We invest in people intentionally so that we can bring them into our lives. Now, what we can tend to do is we can tend to draw circles and we can say this group of friends or this people or this sphere is only for the people I really know. I'm not going to invite my disciples into that. I'm not going to invite people that, um, you know, are from church into that. But actually what we need to do is open those circles up and bring people in. And so my reflection question for here is where in the last month all of us do this all the time, and so I want to really challenge us on this, is where in the last month have you drawn circles around your peer group where you could have invited someone to join? And I'm not saying these questions as one who has mastered it. I'm saying this to spur us on. Where are we drawing circles? Where are we not seeing people, and where could we have invited people to join? Maybe this is messing with you. Maybe you've never thought of like a birthday party as a leadership moment. It is. Because leadership's about loving people. Leadership's about family. Do you see how revolutionary this is? Like, it's not like organizationally, it's just different. See, the authority to lead is directly connected to our willingness to lay down our lives for those we lead. The authority to lead is directly connected to the willingness to lay down our lives for those we lead. All right. Man, this is good. I, I'm really enjoying this. I hope you guys are finding it helpful. I'm going to rip just through a, couple, a final other quick thoughts here. I'm not going to get through all of it tonight. Um, but I want to just talk about raising children, not climbing ladders. Raising children, not climbing ladders. Um, just for a moment. And then uh, actually <clears throat> a lot of the qualification stuff we're going to talk about next week anyway, so it's all good. Raising children, not climbing ladders. So the idea here comes uh, again out of Ephesians 4 and 5 that our job is to raise spiritual children into adulthood. So in leadership, we're maturing kids those who are weak in the faith into a security in Christ and a security in church family so that they can be secure and strong, anchored and not tossed by the waves. We're raising children. We're not climbing an organizational ladder. And so the first part of this is that this means that commitment to family is the essential requirement. We can't raise children if we are not invested in it and committed to those children. We can't love people that we are not committed to. We can't lay our lives down for people that we are not committed to. So, for example, have you ever considered the cost of the lack of your presence in your disciples' lives? A lot of the time we just go, well, I'm just going to move on from one thing to the next. I'm just going to jump from church to church or from relationship to relationship. But if, if gospel leadership is about you loving the people that God has positioned you to love, to lead them to be more like Jesus, do you see that there is a cost to your absence. What would others do if you were not present in their life? This is why gospel leadership is challenging to our individual preferences, to our individual dreams, to our individual hopes and, and ambitions, because it means that we don't just ask, what do I want? What's in my interest? We ask, what is in the interest of those that I am leading and loving? Gospel leadership challenges us to commit to loving our family. So what would happen, question, this is just a reflection moment for you guys. What would happen to those you lead if you were to be taken out of their life? 
consider that you are a unique position? Nobody else can fill that role. The second part of raising children, not climbing ladders, is that no one is an island. Ephesians 4.16 says this, From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. The goal of raising spiritual children is to build a body, a family that is knit together, that is connected together, that is integrated together. Not just leading independently, every piece doing its own part and having its great time, but every piece recognizing that they are part of a bigger whole. Live Church is part of a bigger whole of missional churches committed to reaching and making disciples, and we're working together with all kinds of churches all the time. Your simple church is part of a region. That region is a collection of regions. We're a family knit together. This is why it's so important that as a leader, you lead your simple church to full integration in the life of the church so that they're not isolated and alone, so that they realize that there's a breadth of experiences and stories and gifts and wisdom to bring and to share. This is why gathering and, and doing SME with even other simple churches is so particularly important. This is why sh- when we can, sharing meals together and is so important. Because it brings us from isolated individuals to realize that we are part of a whole. So reflection, question. I don't know if I have one up here for you, if they have it on the team or not. Are we growing the body and cultivating broader unity? or merely leading our own way. In your leadership, do you see your leadership as contributing to the body? Or is your leadership merely just about what you are leading on its own in isolation? Third aspect of raising children, not climbing ladders, is that your job is maturity in Christ, not tasks or legalism. We lead people to Jesus. We teach people to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, and ultimately to die for Jesus. Gospel leadership is not about getting a bunch of stuff done. It's about Jesus, loving him, knowing him, walking with him, and journeying with others who are doing that as well. So really simply, just as you reflect for a minute here, is your leadership more focused on completing tasks or leading people to be more like Jesus? And when you have to choose and you're under pressure, which one do you tend to choose? I'm a very task-oriented person. I love tasks. I like getting stuff done. And I have to continually remember, Jesus, my job is not to get stuff done. My job is to lead people to be like you. Reflect on that for a minute. And the fourth part of raising spiritual children, not climbing ladders, is that spiritual leadership is not ever, in any instance, a destination to arrive at. There's no personal gain. (laughs) And the thing is, when we start to gain, when we start to get a little bit of power or influence, we need to be so, so aware of how dangerous that is. And we need to continually die to ourselves. The only way to not be corrupted by power and influence is to choose every day to die for the people we lead. And to say, Jesus, I need you to help me do that. The moment the power, the allure, the status, the influence becomes attractive to us, we are in a tremendously dangerous place because leadership is not about us arriving at a destination. It's about raising children to adulthood. It's about the other. It's not about us. And I really want to be specific with this question because I think all of us wrestle with this. And if maybe you think, well, that's not me, then I would caution you to say, look again because I think that the human heart is deceitful in this way. Where and how, this is my question, where and how are you tempted to crave leadership power? And how could you instead deny that? 
All right. I'm going to leave it there for questions. I want to get to Q&A. Um, I did say we were going to talk about qualifications, but Alex is going to talk about that this Sunday and next week a little bit further um, and, and talk about some of the qualifications around, um, around leadership. But I did promise to address one piece of it, so I will address this. There's a whole set of qualifications for leadership that are found in 1 Timothy, Titus, 1 Peter, um, a whole collection of New Testament letters where there's these lists of a, a leader or an elder or a deacon or so forth need to have these character traits. And, and they're all great. They're all really important lists, but they're largely descriptive. They're, they're different authors' attempts to describe the character of a person in leadership. And, uh, and, and they're important. They're good, you know, <laughs> not given to getting drunk and able to lead their family effectively, able to, to, to teach others, uh, able to model well, um, you know, righteous, of not prone to fits of anger, things like that. These are all good things. But I submit to you that, that all of those lists assume a context of church's family. You can't, for example, evaluate a leader on their effectiveness of uh, managing their household or their character if you're not integrated with them. So all of those lists that we see assume the basics of leadership, loving people sacrificially, living and loving as Christ has loved us, walking together as a church family, and one of the mistakes that we can make is that we can lift a list out of Scripture and say, I'm going to go look at that list and read that list and try to live like that list without first going, well, what was the context of that list? And the context of those lists was church's family and a theology that called the church to, to be like Jesus. And so I would encourage you to, when you read those lists, to read it through the lens of, okay, wait, 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 he's talking to a to a church that functioned as a family. This church is family. It's not just a character list. It's a description of the character of a person already operating in church as family. Otherwise, I don't know how you could possibly assess those character traits adequately. And one of the dangers that we can do is we can think that we can assess them without really integrating with another person. You don't really know someone's character until you've, until you've rubbed with them. And so... Just a thought on that. We'll talk more about that this coming week and why those lists are important and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So we're going to get to Q&A. I'm going to take a quick break, get set up here, going to get Courtney back in to help me facilitate the questions. So get your questions in. We'll talk about that and uh, it'll be good. What, uh, what stuck out to you from what I was sharing? I'm putting you on the spot now before we get questions in. <laughs> okay, well, one thing was the birthday party thing. Okay. Because I thought that was just such a, a small, simple, practical way that yeah. we can be loving people that yeah. might not immediately think to do that. Um, but to kind of, like, yeah, rewire our thinking and think of how we can be more just loving with our day-to-day -day things that we can invite people into. So yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I think we, I, I like that example because it, it highlights how, like, ordinary it Mm -hmm. So they could be like, all right, I need to like create more space and open yeah. my door. It's like, no, you already have the space. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like this is the best part of discipleship. Discipleship isn't a task where you mm -hmm. do more time. You already, you're probably already going to throw the birthday party. You just bring your disciples <laughs> along. It's true. You're probably going to the mall. Bring your disciples along. Yeah. You're, you have to get groceries. Bring your disciples along. Mm -hmm. You have to, in my case, renovate your house. <laughs> bring your disciples Bring your along. disciples along. <laughs> like just bring them along yeah. and, 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 yeah. and they'll feel loved and secure. It's like, mm -hmm. um, and it, and it's like, yeah, there's no space that's off limits. Yeah. It's more personal too, like rather than having a meeting or like a scheduled yeah. discipleship thing, yeah. you just come and do whatever you're doing. And it's tiring to yeah. set up meetings all the time. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I get meeting yeah. out. Yes. Um, but I love being around people. And mm -hmm. so come, come, come do this thing with me. Yeah. yeah. Um, come to my birthday party. And my birthday's yeah. not until December. So. Mine's in April. Oh, okay. Come soon. So, and like this was a little bit of like, Tongue in cheek a little bit here, but the intention with like that's why we threw Kai's birthday party for our church on the street. Uh, true. Because we wanted to, to like come. Like mm -hmm. it's our kid's birthday. Like I don't know what to do. Like she's four. Like but come Just and celebrate us. Yeah. So Which was awesome, right? It went well. <sighs> First question in. So Linnea says, What are some red flags to identify if someone is making their leadership more about me versus being like Jesus? Um I'm, I wonder if you're referring to identifying in someone else or identifying in you, because I think that there's, there's different clues, um, uh, like the way that somebody else will experience that versus, yeah. so I'll talk about maybe yourself first, like okay. how you would identify it in yourself. Okay. Um, so a really common one here is to watch your emotions, mm -hmm. right? So uh, when leadership's about us, we will feel very threatened when we don't have control. Okay. So a really common red flag here is like the desire for control mm -hmm. over the outcomes or to control people so they do what we want. Yeah. Um, okay. And any emotion associated with like, I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be a difficult emotion to diagnose that mm -hmm. everyone experiences that yeah. a little bit differently. So for example, it might be um, anxiety is really a really common emotion. Um, I can remember years ago when I was going through a leadership scene where I was very much not in control and the way it expressed for me was in really intense anxiety. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't sleep and I would like just like, wow, my, my brain and my emotions were all over the place. Yeah. But it was really rooted and I wanted control. Um, and so, uh, which indicated that it was about me, right? Mm -hmm. and because so, you're looking to get back. Back, back in place, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, that that's kind of a really common one. And I, I think it takes some experience to learn how to mm -hmm. self-diagnose that. Mm -hmm. um, Probably also helpful if you have people who can speak into that too, who know you pretty well and mm -hmm. can maybe help you understand that better yeah. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of red flags in other people, um, again... This can express differently in different personalities. So, for example, in a in a conflict averse personality, mm -hmm. um, leadership about me might be expressed in them not not taking initiative on things or not uh, um, or not confronting conflict. Why? Mm -hmm. Because well, I don't want to engage with conflict because I don't want to be in the place mm -hmm. of dealing with the issue. Mm -hmm. Well, that means leadership's about me, not about them. Yeah. Right. A lot of leadership does create conflict. Mm -hmm. So, if someone has a conflict averse personality, yeah. It being about them might look like passivity. Mm -hmm. I see. Right? Which is sort of counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, Interesting. <laughs> but for somebody that's conflict-laden, it would probably swing the other way to being mm -hmm. controlling. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so sort of two ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. But both rooted in the same thing, which is why I say it, it's, it can be difficult. Mm -hmm. you can put I get that. So, ah. Yeah. Cool. That was helpful. Um, some more questions. Oh, Linnea clarified self, but... We did both. Yeah. So Daniel says, how can we be intentional with opening up our walls to allow the stranger in? Ooh. That's a really, really great question. Uh, I think we had some silly suggestions there at the top. Um, and But I think in, in basic, whenever we find ourselves doing anything, mm -hmm. just pausing and going, who could I invite? Yeah. Or when we're in a room, just pausing and going, who's not connected? Or when, like, and, and paying attention to people's emotions in the room and just getting in the habit of just, of just taking just one second to look around the room and see who's not engaged. Or one second when we're planning something to mm -hmm. go, who can I invite? Mm -hmm. 
And initially, this can feel a little bit like forced. Yeah. Uh, Like, okay, I got to go do this thing. Who can I invite? Yeah. But um, I think with practice, it becomes like like automatic. Who can I invite? Who can I invite? Who can I invite? Mm -hmm. Um, The other part is to then really watch our hearts to go, I don't want to invite. And that's usually an indication that we should invite. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's probably something going on there. Yeah. Um, Interesting. The other part is having fun. Mm -hmm. Like whenever we're having fun and we're like, man, this is going to be really fun, bring someone along. Like get a rule of life that says (laughs) when I'm going to go have fun, I'm going to bring somebody with me. Plus, plus one. Five. There's no, there's no, like, like, what is it? One, one, one's lonely, two's a, I don't know. Whatever it is, one more is going to be more of a party. <laughs> so just get into the habit of bringing people along, especially mm-hmm. people that um, you may, that may not feel there. Yeah. And critically ask questions about them. Tell me about yourself. What, and learning to ask questions to meet people. Mm-hmm. Get to um, know them. It's yeah. really important. Mm-hmm. So... One piece of advice that I got from um, Dan Lupo the other day was I'm, I'm pretty introvert and sometimes I just want to not really talk to lots of people. <laughs> and so he just encouraged me to do something with people but not be really talking to them. So like I could be reading a book and they're doing their own thing or like I could be painting and they're doing their own thing. So you're still with people and you're still inviting them into your whatever you're doing but there's not that pressure to be always talking and engaging if, if that's not what you're doing. Yeah. I think the, another really practical example is like, like meals. Yeah. We have like yes. our, our 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 church has got to figure this meals thing out. So I'm just gonna like maybe can I just like pull something out for a second? <laughs> Do it. If if you're like a graduated member of the church and you're older in your household, and you live especially if you live with students, like take responsibility for coordinating meals. Just own the moment. Just say, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna own the moment. I'm gonna mama bear, I'm gonna papa bear this house, and we're gonna do meals. And I'm just gonna it. we're gonna cook them. Yeah. Just bring people together. Don't let people isolate into their rooms. Um, mm-hmm. just create create the space. Take initiative to create the family. Um, so And who doesn't like meals? <laughs> um so I think meals is probably one of the best ones. And uh, it could be organic. And one of the really practical ones here. Just to help people do that, stop worrying about the bill. Ooh. Um, so, like even in our own household, yeah. we don't like we share meals with with the people that live with us. The hill lives with us, and we're never tracking like who spent what on what. Why? Because it, it doesn't matter. Like it comes out in the wash, and it's like our job is to love people. Mm-hmm. So, if you're gonna take initiative to, to to make the meal, make the meal, serve the meal, bless people with the meal. Don't worry about the bill. Your job is to bless people. So, and mm-hmm. I know that. I say that because I know people will go, well, well, wait a second. I paid for the chicken last week. Yeah, yeah. Are you bringing the pizza next week? <laughs> and next thing you know, something that was intended to bring people together is creating conflict. Mm-hmm. But gospel leadership is about denying yourself and serving people. Yeah. Pay the bill. All right. Challenge accepted. More questions. So, you want to read the next one? Uh, let's see. Look at my like old man glasses here. <laughs> I know, I'm squinting too. Um, uh, Shane has one. Shane, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. He says, um, I know this is a case by case question, but with the reflection question about building walls and being available, how much is too much in terms of being available? Especially when you're a part of different circles, in quotes, and integrating them hasn't been working. Great question. Okay, so I'm going to tackle that in reverse order. So, if you're part of different circles and integrating them isn't working, if those circles are within the same church family, mm-hmm. I think it's time for a crucial conversation with both circles. Ah, okay. And say, guys, what is happening here? Like, why, why do we feel cliquey? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm part of two cliques and you guys are, like, not hanging out. So I think, like, initiate a, a conversation mm-hmm. if they're within church family because that shouldn't happen. There should be, I would love to see the day where there isn't these clearly identifiable circles. Mm-hmm. There's hundreds of them in our church. And like, let's just try to like get the big eraser and just go like, <laughs> just erase them. Um, so I think that, um, I, I really do think that that would warrant like a clear community, a clear conversation to say, guys, like what's yeah. going on? The second part of it is if um, there are uh, multiple circles, but they're, it's because you're scattered or unintegrated, then it may be time to say, you know what, like I need to focus my energy. You can't do a million things. You can't have a million relationships. Mm-hmm. So focus is really important mm-hmm. there. 
Yeah. Okay. And then you asked how much is too much in terms of being available? Um, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to think okay. about an answer carefully uh, because I think it sort of is like, like how close is too close? I don't, I don't think that there's an answer to that. When I look at Jesus and the disciples, like they lived together, like they traveled together. They were yeah. like up in each other's business 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even when Jesus wanted to be alone, he was still with the disciples in his efforts to be alone for the most part. Yes, there was instances where mm -hmm. he would go away, but he was still like close to his people. And by and large, so I think I would just say how close is too close? Mm -hmm. I don't think too close is too close. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. I like the eraser there. <laughs> go Morgan. Next question, Jesse's. Yeah. Um, got any strategies for course correcting when leadership becomes too self-centered? Nice. Um, I'm assuming again this is self self-correcting. Sounds like it. Um, I think confession uh. um, can be really helpful here, um, especially confession to uh, the people we're leading. Uh, and confession to the people that are leading us. And why to both? Um, I think because probably the people that are leading us will be more apt at, at helping to identify the roots of it, where it came from. They may have a little bit more experience in terms mm -hmm. of um, seeing that, that process through. But in terms of the people we're leading, they, uh, I, I think... They will have experienced it. They will have experienced the negative consequences of selfish leadership. Uh -huh. And therefore, you owe them an apology. Um, it doesn't have to be long, but just say, hey, guys, I, I wasn't leading effectively this yeah. week. I, I made some mistakes. I'm sorry. Um, I was mm -hmm. kind of making it about me, and I, I didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes a long way to building trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with being <laughs> um, apologetic as a leader. Yeah, um, I agree. So... Uh, I think I've apologized to every member of the SLT more times <laughs> than I can count because I'm very flawed. So, um, yeah. So, Adam here says, your actions will shape your feelings. Yeah, this is sort of um, uh, this idea that instead of trying to think our way into a new way of acting, mm -hmm. we act our way into a new way of thinking. Um, like doing first. Doing first. Okay. So, for example, if you're struggling to love people, the best... Thing you can do isn't to be like I will love them, I will love them, I will love them, but to just go love them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I see what you're saying, yeah. And this is the difference between um, uh, Alan Hurst talks about this at length in his book The Forgotten Ways, which is a great book on on churches, church and mission. Mm -hmm. This idea that that in the West we tend to try to get we go from thinking to action, mm -hmm. but in most of the Hebrew um, models of learning in the first century, it was more action to thinking. So you more act your way into a way of thinking. Yeah. So sort of a reverse. Okay. Um, which is why, fun plug for Living Scent Missionary Academy, it's why Living Scent Missionary Academy requires that people are doing while they're learning. We don't want people to join the Living Scent Missionary Academy as academics. Mm -hmm. It's the, this, uh, to just read about stuff, but say like, you're in ministry, let us help you do it more effectively. Okay. You're leading people, let us help you be more effective. Yeah. So in situ. So, great point, Adam. Love that. Let's see what else. Oh, Philly, don't count the dishes either. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Okay. There's one question there from Philly, too, at the bottom. Yeah. How do we get better at hearing them, and how do we get better at articulating them? It's an interesting question. Um, I, I think um, the key with articulating them is to just be really clear on what we're asking. Will you come and, and, and really practical, focus mm -hmm. on the practical. Yeah. Um, the why is important in things, but sometimes just being like, hey, can you come, in my case, mud drywall with me, or, you know, can you come cook dinner with me? And just keeping it really practical. Mm -hmm. Uh, in specific uh, can help in articulating it as opposed to the the you may have like a why like 
so yeah. that we can talk or so that we can have a conversation or mm -hmm. so that I can just get to know you better. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily need to communicate that. You can just say, hey, like, come. come. Me. <laughs> you don't need to say, come to my birthday party because I'm intentionally opening my <laughs> yeah. circle so that I can disciple you. Like, that's weird. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> come like, to my party. Come to my party. Yeah. And it's just like, I think, keep it simple. Okay, yeah, um, keep it simple. So, uh, and then how do we get better at hearing them? Well, hopefully, if we're giving simple... Um, invitations and they'll be better to hear and mm -hmm. um, part of this is why believing the best is important okay. is that when we receive the invitation we don't wonder like what negative motivations or positive motivations mm -hmm. just say hey they want to be with me cool I'm gonna mm -hmm. be with them yeah trusting that so so Ali asks you talked about how you can't be in relationship with everybody and you need to focus your energy at times but I also feel like there is a call to welcome people into those inner circles frequently how do you suggest balancing these two things? How do you avoid becoming overwhelmed with keeping in touch with new people and making them part of your daily life? Uh, that is a really, really good question, Ali. I appreciate mm -hmm. that uh, question a lot. And it's something that Laura and I really wrestle with mm -hmm. um, because over the years, we just build a lot of relationships with a yeah. lot of people and it's hard to, it is hard to keep up. Um, I think in the context of particularly of discipleship, we want to see people move and mature into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So kind of the way I think of it is um, you're building a family. Yeah. Right? So as you raise spiritual children, the goal isn't to have those children always live with you and be super close to you and you be in their lives, mm -hmm. but to eventually release them to go in and bear their own fruit so that they can have their own influence. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so in the context of discipleship, we really want to be investing in people for the purpose of eventually um, seeing them thrive on their own so that they can invest in people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that does mean that we introduce some space to the relationship, and that's really hard. Like yeah. that, like that's, and that's been one of the hardest things for me. Like I, I was weeping about this a couple weeks ago, um, you know, even as we sent uh, Wembo from Our Simple Church. That was yeah. really hard. I didn't want to do that. Um, and I don't get to talk to him as much anymore, but that was necessary for him to, to open up relationships. So I think it's, it's recognizing that, that our discipleship relationships are intended to um, be, like they have a direction, they have a destination, they have a purpose. Mm -hmm. They're not just hanging out in friendships for the sake of friendships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and that's where like cliques and, cliques can really quickly come in um, because it, it, if without that direction and that purpose, it just becomes a clique, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think those two things do live in tension. And I think the church's family with children being raised to maturity is the best metaphor uh, or the yeah. best picture to describe that. Yeah, that relates really well to me because I'm thinking of rather than like accumulating people till you have so many, you're, you're walking with people and then they you know, go on to adulthood, as you called it. Yeah. So it's, when Ali talked about being overwhelmed, it takes that pressure off because you're not just taking everyone all the time to the same degree, but yeah, in different ways. Yeah, and then also being really conscious of when our relationships have, have, have when we're like just, when we do have like these relationships that have kind of become cliquey or yeah. become, yeah. And so because they become like these drains, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um it's like the best part of church's family is it's like family on mission together. So um, it's like the closer we get, the more we love each other, but also the more focused on the things of Jesus yeah. we get and the more willing to, to release. But these things are hard. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But the other flip side is if everybody did this, everybody would be cared for. Uh, I think the challenge is it can feel really overwhelming. And if I'm, I'm speaking honestly, this has been one of the things that's been really hard um, for me and Laura and especially mm -hmm. over the last years it's infinitely better than it was yeah. was we felt like we were trying to care for everyone it's like can we get some help yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and not doing a very good job of it um, and feeling like oh, I can't possibly keep up can't possibly keep mm -hmm. the relationships going um, so yeah one other final thought since this is such a great question Allie is that I think that's why um why some of the other like really practical dimensions of leadership here are really helpful things like proximity yeah um things like open home that really 
create i think like the, the that spontaneous infra, the spontaneous environment where it makes it easy mm-hmm. uh, when, yeah. um you know it's pretty tough when we have to schedule a meeting or get in the car yeah like that that's where the stress comes in yeah all the so, things yeah and um yeah since ali has kids too as a fellow parent <laughs> the idea of loading my kids into the cars <laughs> like i don't want to do that so yeah. um yeah uh, tara says here everyone is everyone's inner circle nice i love that <laughs> i love that yeah yeah um so yeah nice great questions awesome questions I appreciate yeah that. So not easy answers, but, um, yeah. Well, that is an hour and 15 minutes. I think we can call it a wrap. Sounds good. On that, good. that great, great discussion we had. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate those questions. And hey, guys. Nice being here. It's great, as always. We will um, catch you later. Next week, we're back at it for part, part three. So, all right. Have a great week. Bye.